Welcome to Where Others Won't 70. If you're just finding the show, I hope you'll check out some of the previous episodes, which include guests like Canadian men's national team head coach John Herdman, new Football Australia performance director Paddy Steinford, former Arsenal performance director Darren Burgess, and sleep expert Dr. Mita Singh. My guest on this episode is throw-in coach Thomas Groenemark. Thomas's work became popularised through his work with Liverpool, where they went from 45.4% retention under pressure from their throw-ins to 68.4% retention in a single season. As well as Liverpool, Thomas now also coaches elite clubs like Ajax, RB Leipzig, Ghent, Atlanta United, and FC Midtjylland. I hope you enjoy my conversation with soccer throw-in coach Thomas Groenemark. If I ever decide to expand or rewrite where others won't the book, it's going to be packed with stories from this guy. Thomas, welcome to Where Others Won't. How are you doing? Hi, Cody. Thanks a lot. I'm doing fine. Uh, yeah, here in Denmark at the moment, we're pretty good with the COVID situation. So for, for quite a long time, we've been opening the society up. So so right here, it's it's it's, it's pretty cool, yeah. Good to hear, yeah. I've been following you for quite some time and and I love our little exchanges on Twitter and, and what you've been doing. You're a throw-in coach, but I, I felt a kind of a natural kinship with you as, you know, I've started coaching coaches and the first response to me is, why the hell would we need that? What, are we, what would we be paying for? So I'd love to hear from you in your work less about what it is you do, but what are some of the barriers that you've faced in terms of, gaining acceptance for what you do, which is to coach throw-ins in soccer, which is a huge part of the game. The great barriers for me as a throw-in coach has been that that soccer has, um, you know, looking back just five years back and then then the last 140 years, that, that soccer has been really traditional thinking. I've been on the 15, 20 years ago, I had a 10-year 10, 10 period in the national team in, in, in track and field as a sprinter and, and, and four years as a, as a member of the Danish bobsleigh team, national bob team there. And if I compared the, the soccer world and, and these two professional worlds, we were like light years ahead of soccer. At that time, there was really no, you know, uh, not so many physical coaches. There were not mental coaches. There were not focused on the small things. It was more like a head coach, assistant coach, doctor, one physiotherapist, a goalkeeper coach. And that was approximately it. So, so I've seen a, a world, a soccer world, where it's been very traditional. And of course, it's still been a fantastic world because uh, millions of people have, have loved, loved soccer for, for many years. So, so, in 2004, I got the idea that I want to be a throwing coach because, you know, I, I was good at throw-ins myself 
when I played soccer and also had a lot of knowledge from from the, the track and field world, also from the bobsleigh world with physical parameters, uh, how the body worked and video analysis and so. So, so for me, it was, yeah, it was actually, I was pretty lucky because the first head coach I contacted in Denmark a club called uh, Vibor. He was really innovative and uh, he was already doing things with the, uh, the players' uh, eye-foot coordination and things like that. So so I was actually lucky that that he said yes to involve me as a throwing coach. But in in general I've been having a I've been having a lot of uh, barriers and and a lot of challenges coming into the clubs. But 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 actually my my coaching around the long throw-ins um it was pretty accepted from the start but i think the biggest barriers i've been having is that that i'm working with a thing called the long fast and clever throw-in philosophy and without going deep into that i'll just say that's that's the throw-ins all around the soccer pitch so i also wanted to coach all the the short throw-ins and how to keep possession on the throw-in and so and and funny enough it um you know, I, I felt and met a lot of barriers around that because uh, people just thought, hey, it's just a throw-in. They could accept that you can improve your long throw-in and score goals from that. But but to to coach, you know, all the other throw-ins all around the pitch, that wasn't accepted. Um, you know, first when I realized that it could make a gigantic difference in, in soccer, that, that you were also coaching all the other throw-ins and not only the long throw-ins, I thought, and that was in 2007, I thought, hey, I'll get my international breakthrough just in a few months or so, because it was so obvious that 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 there was challenges around this in soccer. But I had to actually had to, um, to wait 11 years before the first club wanted to get my knowledge around that. And and so so to, to cook it down to, to one sentence or one word, I think it's, Again, it was because um, the soccer world was was too traditional thinking. Yeah, agreed. And very similar, again, on the coaching coaches side, which is what I do now after, you know, writing another book about the emotional toll and the, the human experience of being a head coach and what people like, you know, Jürgen actually go through, which I think is still very much underappreciated and, and I literally just tweeted, you know, I find it fascinating that every major CEO that you can name, Steve Jobs, you know, Sundar Pichai, Jack Dorsey, all the, all the Silicon Valley CEOs have or had a coach, not a mentor, not someone that they just called when they were struggling, but a coach that would sit with them, sit with them in meetings and spitball ideas with them. And, and that, thinking hasn't translated over to sport because we just say we pay them a lot of money to do the job. So like they, they should just go and do it. And, and I think, yeah, it, th- there is a wave coming on that front, but yeah, I see a lot of the same challenges that traditional thinking in your careers, I'll, I'll say careers. So, you know, athletics uh, moving into the winter sports, football, have you always been someone that kind of looked at those small details and, and was trying to find advantage in the margins? Yeah, I'm, I'm like that as a person. I've been that like since I was a 
You know, I've, I've been looking not only myself, but also together with the people we I've been with uh, in different sports. And um, for example, when I was on the Danish bobsleigh team, we had a big challenge. We want to be innovative. Uh, and one of the reasons was because, first of all, of course, like the word says, we want to find new things in the bobsleigh sport, so it could give us an advantage. But one of the reasons was also because our pilot, he was um, seriously injured in the Achilles tendon. And, and we should keep him both because he was our teammate, but also because all the points in bobsleigh belongs to the pilot. So, so we knew we had to improve. The challenge was at that time that we had a, a thing called nerd alert on the bobsleigh team. And generally said it was just like when, when we are sitting around the dinner table or so after a hard days of training, if someone said something different, something weird, something special, you could get a nerd alert and, and it was simple like, woo, 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 you can, you can say that. And, and then soon after, the other guys followed. So you could, if, if you said something uh, weird or special, you could easily have a, a lot of nerd alerts there. Um, but we found out it was really, even though it was from time to time, it was funny because it was not the same guy who got the nerd alerts all the time. It was just like, but the challenge was, was our environment because if you have a good idea where you can change something, you, you, you don't want to come with it if you're fearing uh, getting a nerd alert, of course. So, so we weren't in, innovative at all. Uh, we, we couldn't, we weren't progressing with, with, with new things in our bobsleigh sport and it didn't give us any advances. So, so we thought, hey, we, we must find a way to be more innovative. So um, we, we made a, a, like a, like a feedback tool um, and it was with inspiration from MacGyver. You, I don't know if you know MacGyver, the, the TV action mm -hmm. from the 80s and 90s. He could like, he could, he had a solution for everything he made. So, so we made a, we, we made like a feedback tool called the MacGyver Entwicklungsstufe 10, and that's on German and in English, it's it's MacGyver Development Step 10. And the reason why it was on German, we call it, it was because we had German coaches and we were speaking German uh, all the time. But in general, it was just like a, a feedback tool going from one to 10. So if someone came with an idea that was actually not so good, he might get a like a MacGyver Entwicklungsstufe 2 or 3. So MacGyver Entwicklung Development Step 2 or 3, it, if, it, if it was a middle good idea, a medium idea, he would get a six or seven. Or it was, if it was an, an idea we could take directly into the bobsleigh team, we'll get a, a nine or 10. But the good thing about this uh, MacGyver development step 10 was no matter if you, if you got a, a, a no three or six or eight, we wouldn't laugh. We'll just say, hey, what would MacGyver have done with this idea? How would he have developed? And then suddenly we were going from being afraid of people laughing at us when we came with an idea to just want to pull out one idea after another. And it helped us a lot. We were so uh, great in an uh, innovative environment and, and, and we did a lot of crazy stuff. For example, uh, before my bobsleigh appeared, I've been using a lot of uh, blindfolded, uh, what you know, uh, so like for your eyes, I've used that in training too. So we did that in the bobsleigh training too, both in the start training, but also down the track, not the pilot. He didn't get any, he wasn't blindfolded, but because you can like isolate your, your senses. And so we did that also normally in a bobsleigh uh, team, just before you have to put the sleigh, all, all other teams are just like standing and screaming and, and, 
you know, bang on their helmets to get energy. But one day there was a guy called Nikolai. He said, hey, couldn't we prepare our bobsleigh start like a rock band? And 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 if it had been like the earlier days, they, we, we would have been giving him a nerd alert because that's crazy. But he actually got a, like, a, like a MacGyver development step seven because on one hand, it was a crazy idea. But on the other hand, uh, rock bands had, had uh, you know, a lot of energy. So we ended up using uh, Queens We Will Rock You to uh, just before we push the sled uh, so banging twice twice on the chest and then one clap above the head and it was uh, fantastic just the the last uh, world cup just before the, the olympics in 2006 i think there were approximately 1500 uh, spectators at just at the top of the track there and they've of course heard the danish bobsleigh team they were using we will rock you so when we stood there like 10 12 seconds just before we pushed and and made this we will rock you clap then then there was like like 1500 people doing the same so that was just like amazing so so again um you know you can you you can do uh, a lot of things to to create a, a fantastic environment where people are people are you know trust each other um people are secure people are innovative so it's a lot about uh, leadership it's a lot about coaching it's a lot about daring to asking to ask the right questions to each other um and especially in in a sports like the bobsleigh sport where you can there's a big risk that you're getting seriously injured and you have to uh, rely on each other. You have to do the right training. You have to polish the runners. You have to repair the sled. So it's 24 seven. So, 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 so I felt myself that, that you can really, really take it, you know, far if you're focusing on, on coaching like you do coach each other, get feedback, even though you're the best at something, you can, you can always be better. I'm curious to ask you this because this is what I find for me personally. Now that I know that I think this way, I now observe every sport through the same lens. So as an Aussie rules coach uh, who watches football religiously, I watch the NFL. I'm here in Toronto is the mecca of ice hockey in the world. So I watch a lot of hockey, baseball. You know, I've written a book about, how to innovate in sport around people. And that that's, you know, everything from how the Australian cricket team went to baseball to look at how they throw and implemented that when no one was paying attention to fielding to, you know, I speak to rugby teams quite a bit about how to catch the ball in your hands, which is our primary way of doing it. Whereas they primarily catch on the chest. Do you look at every sport that you're involved in now and go, I'm I'm really curious about that. Like why why do they do it like that? They could they could do something different there. Yes, both uh, both um, sports. I mean, of course, I've been taking inspiration from from all the sports I've been doing myself. I've been playing a lot of street basketball myself, but and also basketball in a club for year, one year. So I'm using that a lot in in. Um, you know, when, I, when I'm coaching myself, but I've also been taking inspiration from, from many other things. For example, uh, nature. Um, sometimes I'm observing birds. If you, are, for example, have a small flock of birds and there's a, like this big predator birds, how, what kind of awareness does these birds have between themselves to like, like still get their food, but still not been eaten by the big bird there. Um, so, so I've been, been using that a lot also for my 
my you know my throwing coaching too i'm sometimes going to a museum i see a piece of art and then suddenly i see like this these lines could this be a, a really good running pattern um another thing i've been seeing inspiration from is, is roman warfare um you know one of the reasons why uh, the roman armies uh, were really successful was because they were really structured and one of the things that did the roman armies was, uh, you know, the, the first one in the armies where, when the battle started is that the people were shooting the bow. And and when they've been shooting their arrows, then then they have to get back because they're not they're not the good fighters. And and normally uh, uh, with other armies, when these uh, bowers, um, when they've shot their arrows, that they would when they got back through the ranks, they'll often lead to like chaos and they will tumble over other warriors and some would be killed. And so, but the Roman army like invented some kind of system to lead them through the other ranks. And that's also, first of all, it's about like space creation, but it's also a lot about awareness around where are people, what, what system can we use to create that awareness? So that's also like a kind of coaching. And so I'm not only taking inspiration from from um, other sports who looks like the sport I'm doing, but I'm also trying to to take inspiration from a, uh, a lot of other things. And then I'll also say that it, it might sound like, you know, he can just see matching and everything. Sometimes I'm looking, hey, is this something that I can use? I think that's brilliant. And then I realize I can't really use it. So it's also about seeing things, but also accepting that that everything can't turn into gold. So 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 I use a, a lot of uh, things in in um you know, in, in, in throwing coaching from, from from other places. But it's not only my throwing coaching, it's also about it's also about other things in life. One day I was walking uh, and my feet, sorry, my legs were cold. Uh, I don't know if you know, sometimes you should have perhaps have been getting a, a pair of trousers more on, on instead. So then I was freezing my legs and I had a walk with my wife. And then suddenly I was saying, hey, what's happening with, if I'm, you know, increasing the frequency of my steps with, with, with the feeling of cold, what is happening if I'm making my steps shorter? Uh, is my my um, my legs less um, less cold then because the wind can't go through? And so so I was experimenting. How can you have the best walking style to feel less cold? So 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 this is this is like built into my personality. So I'm experimenting a lot, getting a lot of crazy ideas. And a lot of them have been successful, and none of the other ones aren't really going, going all the way into yeah the goal yet. I'll tell you the two that I've been really looking into recently. The first one is comedy. I spent a lot of time watching, particularly Jerry Seinfeld, because he has his show on Netflix where he interviews other comedians. And what's great about it is, you know, they, they get in a car and they go and get coffee and they're just talking about the artistry of comedy and, and stand-up specifically. So what does it take to get on stage and be a performer and essentially have a contract with the audience where they don't owe you anything, but you have to make them laugh. And, and just how detailed you need to be where like the inflection on a word is the difference between a joke working and not working. Hmm. So if you, 
raise the pitch of your voice a little bit or you get it wrong a little bit on a particular night, you won't get a laugh. Mm. And I, I find that really fascinating. And then also just the, the personas that these comedians create on stage. So, you know, they, they all kind of talk about how they're petrified until the curtain opens. And then all of a sudden they're in the, their domain. They have this sense of mastery come over them as soon as they see the lights and hear the clap. And they're like, oh, this is me. But up until then, they've, they've basically got, you know, paralysis. I love that in terms of, you know, in coaching, there's obviously message delivery, but also I, I want us to start thinking about ourselves as performers. We can have that curtain opening moment as well where, you know, we step out onto the grass and you feel that sense of calm. Like, this is me. This is where I belong. I, I'm, I'm fully in control here. And so I saw a lot of that in comedy. And then the other one was I'm fascinated by countries and what countries do to people, what countries do to, you know, the framing of how people see the world, their understanding of power dynamics, so like you would have seen this coaching in football because it's so multicultural now. There's no such thing as just coaching, like just delivering a message. You, if you have someone from a particular culture, they absorb that message differently to an American, to an English person, to an Australian person based on their understandings of something as simple as power and authority. Yeah. And I find that fascinating. And what we do a terrible job in the English speaking world of doing is saying, because our leadership style works here, that's, that applies to everyone. And that's just not the case as I'm sure, you know, you see over and over and over again. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. And I think it's, it's a fantastic observation to be of, uh, you're having there. I think uh, you're, you're totally right. We're coming from from different backgrounds, different cultures, and and um, I think I think as humans, but also as coaches, I think it's for me it's it's really important to to also have a buffer uh, on on this subject here because I don't necessarily if some people if some people are saying something where I think, hey, is that should I should was that meant negatively? I also try to think, is, is that because of the person or the background or, or something? Because we are, um, I, I think that, that that's really important if we want to, you know, accept each other, that, that people shouldn't be like us or we shouldn't try to make them be like us. Um, and I think if we have that, that acceptance of, of we have normally we have to use some time to like get really bond closely. And, um, and until we are bonding, like understanding each other, like almost perfectly, that there'll be some occasions where, where you can think, Hey, is that, um, why did he say that? Or why did she say that? Or, but so, so I think for, for me, it's really important to have that, that kind of, of buffer also with, um, also with humor, that's also a thing. You know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm a person who, who normally, if I'm like, like, if I should just talk without thinking, I'll say a lot of uh, funny stuff or at least things I think is funny. <laughs> it's not, it's not going well all the time. Um, 
but you also have to accept that there are different kind of 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 humor that's also really of course it, it goes really into the to the person itself but it's also depending on culture and so in some countries uh sarcasm and irony is like really a thing you're doing a lot and in other countries they don't understand it at all so 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 i think it's 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 also important to try to feel you into a culture and i think that that's one of the the biggest challenges for me because you can say that if i was only etc um uh, working at Liverpool FC and I had a three or four year contract with them only being there every day, every week, it'll, it'll go pretty fast. Then I was like, you know, then I knew the culture and then I could just say I knew the people and then it'll just like hopefully go well and we'll really bond, bond uh, create uh, close relations. But my challenge is that I, one day I'm in Belgium, then I'm in the States, then I'm in Germany, then I'm in England, then I'm somewhere else. And so new countries, uh, new cultures, new people. So so, so for me, I, I'll say, I think it's, it's been going pretty well, but, but I think that that's one of the challenge challenges being a freelance coach like i am so uh, yeah yeah just to what you're talking about with humor is probably the thing that my wife has to say the most is he's joking he's joking because <laughs> i i think i say things and then there's kind of this silence and i think it's hilarious what i've said and no one else gets it and so <laughs> he has to but yeah. uh that that must be the australian um sense of humor but yeah, I, I understand what you mean there. Let's keep talking about like your coaching because you're right. You've got a really tough setup in that one, you're already starting behind the eight ball a little bit in terms of what it is that you coach tactically, but then also you've got to continually reinvent yourself as a coach every stop that you make. So, you know, like you said, if you, if you're in Belgium, you have to be one thing. So how do you try to get consistency with your coaching, like you as Thomas, when when you are having to kind of change the domain that you're in every day? Because the greatest thing is, like you said, to be able to walk into Liverpool every day. You know the receptionist. You say good day to her. You you know you walk through the halls. You know everyone. Everyone knows you, and there's this acceptance. But you've got to change. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 of course it's a tough challenge, but but first of all, I try several things. First of all, I just try to be kind. The, I think I'm, I'm I'm kind by nature, so I'm I'm try to smile, say hello to everybody, talk with everybody. I have time to talk to not only not only the other coaches and the players, but also uh, the guards standing at the stadium or the people are, who are preparing the food or s- someone else. So I try to, to talk with a lot of people Then also try to, to listen a lot and try to both give and get uh, knowledge. And, and so, so when I'm doing a, a session, of course, I'm talking with the assistant coaches, head coaches, um, but I'm also talking with the physiotherapist. I'm also talking with the physical coach, the analysis people, and so to to give and get so much knowledge as, as possible. So so the the session is is as successful as possible too. Um, and then I just try to prepare. And and again, it's, it's a little bit different from club to club because now I've been been working for Liverpool FC the last three seasons. Um, 
And then, it's, of course, it's easier knowing many more things, but especially the first visit in a club, you know, like I'm normally meeting, I don't know, <laughs> between 50 and 100 people or so in my first visits and so on. It's a, like starting on a new, or it is a new working workplace, yeah. So so, so that's a challenge too. So, so like structured my training, first of all, after what level are they on? Like, like if throwing coaching is totally new for them, of course, it's like I have to start from, from scratch. Uh, and if, if I've worked them, with them before, then I can go into another level. But I also have to take in consideration what, what the uh, wishes are uh, from the club and especially the head coach um, because – some some players want, um, oh, sorry, sorry, some head coaches want to to do some long throw-ins, and in in other clubs they don't want to do it at all, and that's fine for me because I'm 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 like paid for the club. I'm not coming to say what they have to do. Of course, I ca I can say what I think would be a good thing to do, looking at the video analysis and looking at the team's games and so, so, so you can say, of course, it will be. Uh, much easier to just stay in one club and get these close relations because I, I love having close relations to people. I think that's that's for me the most important thing. You can know you know close relations and then give me a cup of coffee. You know <laughs> that that's just like perfect. I love that. That's the most important thing. And and so so but but again, if I'll, I'll actually rather at least at the moment live the life I'm doing now because I'm also traveling a lot, seeing a lot of different people, a lot of different cultures. And I'm also using time for, you know, seeing museums and nature and architecture and, and art. And so, so, so right now it, could, it couldn't be better that, than it is. Um, so, and I think that, I think that the, the most important thing is, is the close relations Um I've been I've been doing a lot of um, talks, motivational talks in Denmark. I've been doing over 500 talks for for companies in Denmark, and and also been writing a book uh, about work joy. And 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 one of the things we know is that that close relations are actually one of the most important things we have. And and we have there was big research in in Denmark from uh, uh, like like a university called DTU. And they, they searched a lot of companies, teams, and they looked at what companies are like, like um, you know, having the most work joy, but, uh, but who, uh, who does also have the best, best results. And before that research, they thought, hey, the best teams, that must be the teams who, where, where people have are most educated and, and are really, really skillful, have the best skills, and, but also the places where people are really ambitious. They want to really achieve and reach the highest goals or something like that. But actually, they found out in that research then that, that it, it was actually the teams where the team members had the closest relations, uh, work relations there, uh, because the closer relations you have, the, the more trust you have in each other and the more trust you have, the easier it is to, for example, say, hey, oh, I need some help with this or this. Or perhaps you say, hey, I read this book, this article. Can you use that uh, with, with your customer here or what, what you're doing there? So so close work relation is for me the most important thing and also the thing I enjoy the most. So I try actively to, to do that 
uh, not only in my coaching, but also in the hours when I'm not coaching in the club, or also outside when I'm when I'm going with, with for example, it's, it's often the, the taxi drivers from the club who who picks me up. It's just, it's just important for me to talk with them and listen, and so 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 be able to listen and create good relations are, are for me the for me the most important things things to get success. I agree. And that's music to my ears hearing that study. And I'd love to see that, you know, I probably controversially wrote a chapter in the tough stuff, my most recent book called tactics don't really matter. And the concept was actually about belonging and cohesion. And really it wasn't so much that tactics don't really matter. They clearly do but it was that we probably spend an inordinate amount of time on that and not enough time on belonging and cohesion and close work relationships that you're talking about where I actually see that as the foundation of the tactics. If, if your players are cohesive and understand each other and care about each other, I think you're a lot more tactically able to implement so many more things and uh, so, yeah, people kind of take the, the headline as a little bit of, you know, clickbait title, but it's actually about what you're talking about. And I think that rings true even in some of the more ruthless sports like in North America where it's kind of, you know, the, the coaches are at arm's length and, you know, you, you have to be able to trade players at any given turn. I still think that that sense of belonging rings true and, and delivers performance. Well, I think you're you're totally right there, Cody. Because it's also depending on how. Uh, uh, for me, it's the most important to get these close uh, relations, no matter where you are. And I think they're important also in in the, the the tough sport, big sports in North America. But they're just talking about other things instead. I had an interview with with a woman from. Um, from the states here not long ago and i also i talked about work joy and she said oh we're not really talking so much about work joy in in the states it's more about who are the heroes and who are really well performing uh, so you can look up to them and really say i want to be like him or her uh, i think that was approximately how she said it but you know uh, try to try to win the, uh, the nfl in in, in um, american football close work relations are just as important. They're, they're just like saluting the heroes more in the States. And I'll also say, of course, that's that's also motivating for a lot of people. For example, in Denmark, we are not so much used to to like 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 saluting the big heroes. It's more like it should be a little bit cozy and we should have yeah, we should have a good time together. And that's also positive. So I think one of the most important things is to take the best things from from one culture and then see how we can develop that culture or see what, what good things we already have ourselves. So for me, it's not controversial and also create, uh, uh, you know, close relations. For me, that, that should be the first thing on the paper before you do anything else. So, so, but the challenge is that in Denmark, we are, we are calling it, it's, it's like a, it's like a soft, it's like a soft, um, you know, a theme to talk about that, and and something that's soft, that's that's uh, not so popular. You don't want to spend so much money and attention and time on that. But hey, work relations make you win championships. It makes you create 
um, create results and make sure everything. But but it's just it's just much easier to say that how hard you've been working, and and I think that 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 hard work and to hold out and so it's it there's people are like like celebrating that much more. But you can you know it's also hard work to create good relations. So 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 because it sounds soft and for some people it's controversial. I think. I think it's it's still the most important thing, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And uh, there's just so many examples that we can point to where that was a huge differentiating factor. One thing that I've been pushing a lot of coaches to do, and there's still a lot of trepidation around this, is to show their work to, you know, we have social media now, we can learn from each other, we can share, we can you know, develop ideas together in real time, which is a fascinating concept that didn't exist 20 years ago. We, you know, you had to, had to have all the encyclopedias or, you know, the, the books, you know, you had to be a published author or these different types of things. And I think there's still a lot of coaches that are scared to do that because they think they're giving everything away. And you as the expert in what you do in the world you know, you should be someone that people would think that you wouldn't give anything away. But am I right in saying that, like, kind of your path started from a tweet about some of the the work that you were doing and then there was a newspaper interview and then that got picked up? So, like, you sharing your work kind of helped you put you on the path? Yeah, I'll say that um, you're totally right. It was because in 2018, June 2018, there was a guy from FC Midtjylland, a young guy called Andreas Paulsen, I've been coached, coaching him for a couple of years and he had improved his throwing from 24.25 to 37.90 meters. So almost 14 meters only with technical training. He was then sold to, um, to Bruce Vincent Gladbach in the German Bundesliga as an 18 year old player for approximately 4 million euros or like $5 million or so. So that was great. So I was just, um, I was just uh, happy for him. So I tweeted, yeah, like, like proud of Andreas Poulsen going to where Borussia Mönchengladbach, Gladbach. And then I told what he improved under my coaching. And then there was a small German fan media from Borussia Mönchengladbach who, who saw my tweet and asked if they could write an article. And all in all, you know, I'm open-minded to people. It doesn't have to be New York Times or Forbes magazine before I want to say anything, you know? So I, we he wrote that article, a great article. And then a few days later, uh, the German newspaper Bild called me and because they read the article from the small fan media. And, and, and if you don't know Bild, it's like 10 million Germans or so who was reading that every day. And I said, yes. And actually it was that, it was that um, article in the newspaper that Jürgen Klopp from the, the head coach manager from Liverpool FC read. I think he was, he was at vacation in Tenerife in Spain reading it. So, um, so, so yeah, I, I just think it's it's fantastic if you try to to bring your stuff out, your ideas, and so on. And you can say that, of course, I'm I'm not bringing everything out, but I'll say that that I've been giving so many interviews just before I like an hour before we started here. I had a webinar from some Chinese coaches. I think I've been been <laughs> talking with people from I don't know. 60, 80 different countries, all Africa, South America, all, all over Europe, Canada, the States, you know, everywhere in the world. So uh, Ru- Russia, everywhere, Asia. Um, 
so so I, I just try to give as much as I, I think is is possible and then you can say yeah, I'm then I'm having the next step my next step is sharing my knowledge is to um, to publish a book about throw-ins of course online courses and so so I'm but so so I'm perhaps only giving like I don't know 25% of my knowledge or so but still these 25% you have to you have to see most uh, football coaches are having no knowledge around throwing. They're just used to throwing the ball down the line into a big box of people who are having a duel, a duel, and a duel again. So you know they're just happy to to learn all the basic things. So so and and again for me, uh, and it may sound a little bit controversial or weird. But for me, the most important thing is not to win the Champions League with Liverpool like I did, uh, you know, Premier League. I won, won several other titles in Denmark, in Holland, World Championship for club team for Liverpool too. But that's not the most important thing for me. For, the most important thing for me is to create, uh, make a change in the in the football world so we have better throw-ins. And, and even more important for me than the professional clubs is, is the youth and the amateur coaches. Um, because that's the grassroots that that's where development starts and and i maybe i maybe create change for some professional clubs and of course a lot of fans but i know the real change is made when when a small boy a small girl isn't afraid of taking a throw-ins but because there are so many people not only not only kids and youth players but also adult people who told me i was afraid of taking a throw-in because it was so it was so hard. They were not trained into it. So for me, it's not only about the change. It's not only about, about creating wrestles for, for, for the coaches and the players who are getting my throwing knowledge, but also the joy of the game, the joy of the players. They, they have to, when, when there's a throwing, they have to think, hey, now we have an opportunity. I also want to change the game for, for the spectators too. I, I like it that way. Like, for example, in five years, that, 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 Two guys are seeing a football match, and and one is sitting in the sofa. The other one has has go, been going to pick up two beers, and then suddenly there's a throw in, and the guy in the sofa, he's in the couch, he's just saying, "Come on in, man! There's a throw in." So that's the change I want to to. So for me, it's more about change and joy and and the love of the game. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though, because even if you were to give away fifty percent or seventy five percent. It doesn't change anything because the magic is you, Thomas, right? And and this is what I say to a lot of coaches is you are the magic item. Like I I, I repost throw-ins all the time on Twitter. Like I, I've we've we've chatted about I posted a couple of Liverpool ones. There's one with Newcastle where everyone's just standing there doing nothing. And so yeah. throw throw-ins isn't the magic piece of the puzzle. You are the magic piece of the puzzle. And and this is why I'm keen for particularly young coaches to you know, we have the internet, we have the ability to learn from each other, to, to disagree, to sharpen our, our, our axes against each other as coaches. And, and this is my feedback to, to particularly young coaches is if you do put something out there, it might just be one blog, but it shows what you stand for. And so if I'm Jurgen Klopp and I hear your name and I Google you, you want that to come up. Like, who is this person? What do they stand for? And so that's why I think just creating content, a blog, a book, a podcast, whatever it may be, is really, really helpful for coaches, one, to learn, but two, to create your identity. Like, who are you and, and what do you believe about who, about how you coach? Yeah, 
Yeah, you're, you're, you're totally right. I think, I think it's, it's really important to put yourself out there and, and, and show your passion for, for what you're doing. And, and, you know, every time I think about throw-ins, you know, it gives me a little smile uh, on the face and, and, and I'm start, starting to talk a little bit uh, faster and so on. Suddenly, you know, everything is pumping. I think if you feel that way about no matter what it is in life, you have to start posting because, because people can feel your passion and, and it means that you have, to have something to tell people. And, and if it's not new, at least your personality is like bringing something, you know. So, so, so I think you're totally right, Cody, that, that you just have to, to bring it out there. And it's just so easy now. Again, we, we're talking like uh, via the Internet. You're sitting in Canada. I'm sitting in Denmark. You know, it's so, it, it's so incredible easy. Just looking 20 years back, you know, when I was in the, in the late 90s, I was at a, at a training camp with, uh, with the athletics team. And I think it was in Portugal and so. And then we suddenly heard about something called the Internet. And normally I got my news from, you know, I prescribed some kind of athletics newspaper or so where I got the news from, from the athletics world, from Denmark. And that was just fantastic. But now I could see it on the computer. I couldn't realize how crazy it was. And people who were born like, like uh, in the millennium here, uh, they, don't, they don't perhaps don't really know what, what, what I'm talking about. But, but we are just so lucky now to live in a world where it's so easy to connect and communicate our passion to, to no matter um, where it is in the world and, and to everybody. You know, we, we, we can all do that. So, yeah, it's just great. It is. Yeah. And, and it's, changed our, it's changed our coaching world, right? Like to what we were talking about earlier, where you used to be able to hoard information and no one else could find it out about you. So you'd shock teams, but I can, in 25 seconds, I can look up every throw in that's ever existed ever that's on film or every corner that's ever been taken or every three pointer from the corner at you know, Madison square garden. That's all at the, at my fingertips now. And so to what you were talking about earlier, this is where this, everything kind of comes together. Now it's this race to connect people and and to use coaching to connect others and and for coaches to come closer to their players and kind of stop being adversaries and start being partners in performance and so yeah i think that's where they all meet mate i'm conscious of your time uh and i know you've got another 15 hours after this and we could keep talking for those 15 hours (laughs) but i think people would stop listening at a certain point uh, tell us about um, where can people find you and follow along with what you're doing? Yeah, I'll, I'll say you can you can find me uh, on all the social medias, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube too. I also have a homepage called uh, thomasgranamark.com. Um, once in a while, I'm also sending smoke signals, but you have have to be you really have to look at the sky to, to, to read them and i'm also uh, yeah trying to improve them so no no um i don't know if that was danish humor so but you can find me on social media and my homepage too and and, and in general you know i'm if people are writing to me uh, i'm normally responding i'm a kind man sometimes perhaps too kind but but uh, people are welcome to write to me um uh, like on the social media or 
on my mail or so. So, so you can find me almost everywhere. Yeah, brilliant. Well, I hope that our paths cross in the same city at the same time. I know that's going to be difficult for knowing your schedule and my schedule, but um, here's my commitment to you. We're going to find the best coffee house in town and we're going to go and sit in a coffee shop and, uh, and drink coffee and have a chat. That would be fantastic. Brilliant, Thomas. Thank you so much for coming on, mate. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you'd like to get in touch with me, head to codyroyal.com and my books are available for purchase globally on Amazon. See you next time.